Welcome to the Watts of Change podcast. I'm your host, Jen Watts, and we are live from Indianapolis. Hello, everyone. How are you? Thank you for logging on today and listening to the Watts of Change podcast. Um, I am, you know, it's really hard to put into words how I'm feeling right now about the next two episodes um, that we will be producing um, I had kind of already set some issues that I wanted to discuss. Um, again, issues of social change, is, issues of social impact, how to be an agent for change. Um, and on the launch of my podcast on June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court made a monumental decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. And when that happened, I kind of had to go into crisis communications mode and decided that I was going to flip everything and do two episodes about this issue and really focus in on how this is affecting women here in Indiana in a supermajority state like Indiana. And also, I wanted to get a couple perspectives from women in other states um, so that we could have a, sort of a really rich dialogue about what this means nationally. Um, and I also want to get perspectives from experts, legal experts, to understand what does this mean legally, um, the complexity of Roe v. Wade, the, complex, the complexity of the Dobbs case at the center of this decision. Um, and, I, you know, I think if you're not a lawyer or a legal expert or a policy expert, it's something that's very complicated to understand. Um, but I also just wanted to, again, as I have framed this podcast from the beginning, get as many different voices as possible to um, you know, really personalize the issue, whether that's from religious beliefs, whether that's from political beliefs, whether it's just you as a citizen and how you feel about the choice to have an abortion, the ability to have an abortion, or, or what it means to protect um, the life of a of a fetus at whatever stage it is deemed to be human. Um, so it is a very complicated issue. And I certainly um, grew up with a very um, kind of forced, skewed vo- viewpoint on the issue of abortion. You know, I mentioned in my last podcast episode that I grew up Catholic um, and what I consider a socially conservative Catholic family and household. Um, and the you know, I also went to Catholic school, Catholic grade school, and I went to Catholic college. Um, and so in Catholicism, the root, you know, an argument can be made that one of our root sort of foundational uh, value sets is to protect life at all costs. And that's part of our religion. And in that definition, abortion is you know, seen as a sin by God, that abortions are not allowed in the Catholic church or as, as being baptized Catholic, you should not have an abortion or it is sinful. The, that was the mentality that I was raised um, up against and certainly um, was taught in school, in school, in grade school. Well, you know, as I've grown as a woman, as I went into puberty, as I started to understand what it meant to be sexually active, um, what it meant to have, you know, which was, trust me, a very long journey of trying to understand what's, what having safe sex meant given I was raised in this sort of socially conservative Catholic uh, atmosphere. 
you know, I was very confused, but as I processed through my own um, development as a young girl, as a young woman, and then getting into marriage, you know, I really had my ups and downs and fears and anxieties around what it means to be a healthy, sexually active woman without demeaning myself or degrading myself or shaming myself. Um, because of course I was raised Catholic and I was told that I wasn't allowed to have sex until I was married and I was to be, you know, chased until that wonderful sacrament day happened. Um, and so I've had a very tough time understanding where I stand on this issue and frankly, where I stand in reproductive health, sexuality rights, et cetera. So this has been a journey for me, trying to break through a lot of cultural norms that were taught to me and told to me, frankly, um, when I was a young girl. And so this journey on my now decision to be pro-choice has been one that has been long, that has been personal, um, that has kept me up at night, um, that I've done a lot of meditating on, done a lot of frankly praying on, um, and, you know, talked to friends um, and really found my answer in community with individuals who are like-minded. Um, and I have come to my own decision that I am pro-choice and I will remain pro-choice, pro-choice for the rest of my life. Um, and that my ideologies will remain my own ideologies because I have the right to have an ideology that is of my own. Um, and I will likely teach my daughter the choices that she has um, should she come into a point in her life where she has to make a decision to keep a baby or not keep a baby. And again, that is a scenario that I am planning for and I am not projecting that onto her. It is just simply as a mother, as a parent, and as a mother of a girl, it's something you deeply think about. And so I want to just jump right in to what does the end of Roe v. Wade mean for our country right now? Um, and I was able to find a really great article, of course, done by the New York Times. Um, and it was really, it's a Q&A that they laid out of what does this decision actually mean? Um, and so I'm going to kind of run through just some key points on in this article, which I think will outline kind of where we are as a nation. Um, and then I just want to jump into some statistics for the state of Indiana. So we are clear on the current state of things where I'm sitting and certainly where a lot of my listeners are. Um, so abortion will remain legal in about half of the states, but the rest of the states will likely put a ban, a ban on it. That is what many policy experts and legal experts are saying. Um, the number of abortions will probably fall, and particularly among poor women in the South and the Midwest. So we are looking at the majority of these bans happening in the Southern states and in the Midwest states, and the decision to have an abortion statistically will fall among poor women. Okay, that's a really important distinction. Also statistically right now, one in four women have an abortion, have had an abortion in the United States before the age of 45. And the majority of the women who have abortions are in their early 20s when they make that decision. 
um, where abortion access most likely will change, you know, going back to the Midwest and the South, we've already seen some drastic changes already being made. Um, the abortion clinic at the center of the Dobbs case has already been closed. They have already had their last abortion in the state of Mississippi. Um, but the 25 states that are likely to be an abortion, um, and I'm just going to name a few of them, Alabama, Arizona, Georgia, uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, Michigan, South Carolina, Texas, and of course, Indiana is on that list. Um, these 25 states are likely to put strict restrictions on abortion or completely ban abortion. I just want that to sink in. That is half of our country. Half of our country is getting ready to ban abortion. In Indiana in particular, um, we are up against a decision being made, actually being debated behind closed doors right now for a July 25th special session by the governor to make it, this is Governor Eric Holcomb, to make a decision on the future of abortions in the state of Indiana. He has already proclaimed that he is pro-life and will do whatever it takes in his mind, body, soul. He will do whatever it takes to eliminate abortion in Indiana, given he is pro-life. And I want that to sink in. One individual's religious beliefs and value set is going to dictate how millions of women in this state are going to think about their healthcare moving forward. I, I want that to sink in. And though we have checks and balances set up in our state, Governor Eric J. Holcomb has the ability to make this decision, introduce it into the state house, and then it gets voted upon. But I can tell you from personal experience and the advocacy work I've been doing, the supermajority rings true. Once, once whatever the GOP wants will happen, regardless of the governor's capability. And we saw that recently in the decision to ban girls from sports, um, transgender girls from sports. The governor was against the bill and thought it should be allowed, but our GOP state house went, organized themselves, and then overturned his decision to allow transgender girls to play in girl sports. So we're talking about a state that even if Eric J. Holcomb decided, I'm not going to ban abortions, I'm not going to restrict abortions, though I'm pro-life, I am going to take more of a middle ground on this decision, the GOP and the supermajority that runs our state house can easily dismiss that decision. And we've seen it and we'll see it again. So when you look at the state of Indiana for all its statistics, here's currently where abortion policies stand. Abortion is banned at 22 weeks and later. So if you decide that you there is a medical reason or there is a values-based reason or there's a personal reason that you want to abort an abort, abort a child and get rid of a pregnancy, you only can do that before 22 weeks. Once that, once that fetus hits 22 weeks, it's done. You are illegal. It is illegal to have an abortion in Indiana. Um, patients, now this is something that is very different in Indiana than other states. Patients are forced to make two trips to the clinic. One for an in-person counseling session, 
and a movie that they have to watch. And then they have to go home, sleep on it for at least 18 hours, then come back and have the procedure. I can say that window for some, when you, I think a lot of women can attest to this. When you have walked into that clinic, when you first walk in, you have made that decision that you are going to get rid of that pregnancy. That first trip alone is heart-wrenching and scary. And for them to have you come in, you know, watch a video that, you know, frankly was made by, I don't know what video production company, watch a video, talk to a counselor for five minutes and then go home and sleep on it and then come back. I'm not really sure what the barrier is about. I'm not, I'm not really sure whose decision that was to introduce that intervention, um, but we'll do some more research on that. State Medicaid coverage of abortion care is banned except in very limited circumstances. Private health insurance of abortion is banned except in very limited circumstances, meaning this is going to most likely, unless it's an extreme medical case or an extreme situation as deemed by the law, you will have to pay for an abortion out of pocket. Medication abortion must be provided in person because state bans the use of telehealth or mailing pills and requires an in-person visit. Um, Parental consent or notice is required for a minor's abortion. Only physicians can provide abortions and not other qualified healthcare professionals. Medication abortion is restricted through unnecessary regulations. Unnecessary regulations are in force and designed to shutter abortion clinics without basis in medical standards. Um, And so we already have a very strict, limited environment in our state for abortions already, but we're getting ready to ban them completely. Um, So I just wanted to kind of lay the groundwork for this discussion by just kind of walking through some of that basic information around what decisions were just made around Roe v. Wade. Um, You know, I personally believe, and I mentioned this in my last episode, that we're going to see here a distinction between the different types of belief structures within this issue, meaning this. There are going to be some individuals who are really going to focus on the choice factor, that I, as a woman, should be able to make the choice about any medical procedure that happens in my body. I should have the right to make that choice in privacy without the government intervening on that. Okay, so that is going to be a key part of this discussion, and there's going to be individuals who fall on that side of the coin. There's going to be individuals who look at bodily autonomy. Again, the state and the Federals, the federal government and states do not have a right to, again, intervene on any decisions made about one's body. Um, and that goes back to the 14th Amendment, um, which, again, when I hopefully will get a legal expert in here as one piece of this series, we can talk through how the 14th Amendment ties into the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and why protecting what is in the 14th Amendment is critical for, for, for frankly, democracy and freedom. And we'll get into that as well through legal experts. But you're going to see that being a key component of this argument. You're also going to see a key component of this argument, and I hate to say this, is going to be faith. 
It's going to be religion. And I say, I hate to say this because we're supposedly right now in a country where church and state do not intervene. In fact, there's been some aggressive interventions made so the two don't intervene. And we see that play out in our school system. But yet here we are right now, again, in a supermajority state of Indiana, um, where many of the decision makers have already proclaimed publicly on the pulpit as politicians, as elected officials, that they are pro-life because Jesus, their savior, has told them to be pro-life. And, and I will find the quotes and I will present them. And are we supposed to be governing our people with religion at the center of it? And you're speaking to a person of faith. I am a person of faith. I am. I, I do believe in a God. I do. I am a very spiritual person. I was raised Catholic. I am Catholic and I'm a reformer of the church, but I, and I live right next to the Catholic church itself. I, again, the idea that our government is run by religious beliefs is frankly against everything our, our founding fathers started a country on. And so for us to have this argument over and over again about church versus the state versus faith is a huge part of this decision. And it's going to continue to be a part of our, of our conversations. It seems until possibly new generations rising can end it, but I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon in our lifetime. The other decision you're going, your other situations you're going to be hearing are about extreme situations like that of abusive relationships, uh, rape, incest, can women have an abortion um, if they are they are wrongly impregnated by an abusive intimate partner um, or, frankly, a family member or raped? Um, can you terminate a pregnancy if it's unwanted and brings about physical trauma and mental trauma? Do women have the right to say no? I don't want this child because it is going to it's going to bring so much trauma into my life, and I can't. I am not capable mentally of handling that. Are we to say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get, you're going to have to go through this pregnancy and then give your kid to adoption. And I am sorry, this is going to trigger sadness in you, but that baby, that fetus, that, that egg is way more important than your mental health care. Um, so there's going to be lots of sides to this that we are going to be analyzing and talking through. And I want individuals to come to the table with an open mind. I really want individuals to sit back, listen, hear perspectives that they may have never heard before, and ask themselves, do I agree? Do I disagree? And what do you do when you make that decision? Do you get involved? Do you help? Do you organize? Do you pass the mic from yourself to someone else and let them talk and you become the listener? What does it mean to be an agent for change when we're talking about reproductive rights? How can we help those individuals who are going to be severely affected by any decision made? And how can we listen and care for them with a non-bias and a non-judgmental way? And supposedly the faith Christian way of caring for our brothers and sisters. So that's kind of how I want to set up um, the next two episodes. 
I felt like it was important to give this introductory sort of overview and set the tone. Um, and, you know, I just hope that you all stay tuned, check out our next episode, and feel free to send me any questions or comments or raise uh, any concerns that you may have. And I would love to open up those questions and, and answer some of them and ask these questions to some of our interviewees uh, when the time comes. So again, thank you so much for listening to this quick overview and setting the tone. Um, and stay tuned over the next two weeks. We're going to have some really powerful episodes on the subject of Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court and um, abortion rights and women's reproductive health. Thank you so much.